the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Jeremiah. Okay, and it's just, it's just raw emotion. It's like, Lord, why don't you just take care of these people that are treating me so cruelly? And folks, it is common for us to question God about our difficulties, especially when we see someone who doesn't follow the Lord seem to have less difficulties than we. It's common to question the Lord about those things, but it's not necessarily right. Do you sometimes wonder why you're going through a difficult time? As you listen to today's message from Pastor Gary, he understands what it's like to question why and why it seems others might have it easier than you. But it's important to remember that God is sovereign over all things. Pastor Gary reminds you that when you're a child of God, he works everything out for your good. This doesn't mean it's always going to be easy, but you can rest in the fact that you have a God who's for you. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Jeremiah chapter 11 as he begins his message, The Right Way to See a Wrong World. All right, friends, good morning. Let's take a look at our Bibles at Jeremiah chapter 11. I'm going to start at verse 18. I'm going to read down through the end of the chapter, and then also into chapter 12, we're going to read the first six verses. So starting Jeremiah 11, verse 18. Jeremiah writes here, he says, Because the Lord revealed their plot to me, and we'll talk about this in a moment, I knew it, for at that time he showed me what they were doing. I had been like a gentle lamb led to the slaughter. I did not realize that they had plotted against me, saying, Let us destroy the tree and its fruit. Let us cut him off from the land of the living, that his name be remembered no more. But, O Lord Almighty, you who judge righteously and test the heart and mind, let me see your vengeance upon them, for to you I have committed my cause. Therefore, this is what the Lord says about the men of Anathoth who are seeking your life and saying, do not prophesy in the name of the Lord or you will die by our hands. Therefore, this is what the Lord Almighty says, I will punish them. Their young men will die by the sword, their sons and daughters by famine. Not even a remnant will be left to them because I will bring disaster on the men of Anathoth in the year of their punishment. Chapter 12, verse 1. You are always righteous, O Lord, when I bring a case before you, yet I would speak with you about your justice. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the faithless live at ease? You have planted them, and they have taken root. They grow and bear fruit. You are always on their lips, but far from their hearts. Yet you know me, O Lord. You see me and test my thoughts about you. 
Drag them off like sheep to be butchered. Set them apart for the day of slaughter. How long will the land lie parched and the grass in every field be withered? Because those who live in it are wicked. The animals and birds have perished. Moreover, the people are saying, he will not see what happens to us. Verse 5, if you have raced with men on foot and they have worn you out, how can you compete with horses? And if you stumble in safe country, how will you manage in the thickets by the Jordan? Your brothers, your own family, even they have betrayed you. They have raised a loud cry against you. Do not trust them, though they speak well of you. Well, what we're reading here in chapter 11, you can uh, look back at chapter 11. What we're reading here in chapter 11 is that there is a plot afoot by some of the men of Judah, in particular from the town of Anathoth, who want to kill Jeremiah. They want to kill Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah is hated for speaking the truth, for telling people that their sin will have consequences. He is hated because he's telling them that their continued idolatry and rebellion against the Lord will incur the wrath of God and he will bring the Babylonians to bear upon the people of Judah as the rod of his discipline, as the vehicle of his judgment. The people of Judah don't want to hear this. They don't want to hear about sin. They don't want to hear about consequences. They don't want to hear about God. And so they despise Jeremiah. And you know the old saying, if you don't like the message, just go ahead and kill the messenger. And so that's what they want to do. They want to kill Jeremiah. They want to completely do away with him. And so in chapter 11 here, we read about this plot against Jeremiah. Now, what makes this plot even more grievous is that it is hatched in the town of Anathoth. Verse 21 tells us it's the men of Anathoth that are planning this this plot to murder Jeremiah. Now, that's significant for three reasons. First of all, Anathoth is the hometown of Jeremiah. It's where he was born. In chapter 1, verse 1, it tells us that he's from Anathoth, which means that the very people who want to kill Jeremiah are his own neighbors, his hometown friends, the people he grew up with. They've now turned on him. So his own neighbors are wanting to kill him. That's important to the story. Secondly, Anathoth was one of the few priest cities in Israel where the priests lived and raised families. Now, if, if you know your Old Testaments very well, and if you don't, new information for you, but God would allot the land of Israel to the Jews based on their tribes. There was tribal allotment, and they inherited land by tribes, but not the priests. The priests were of the tribe of Levi, and the Levites had the Lord as their inheritance, so they were never given any land. However, they were given certain cities called priest cities in which to live and raise their families. Anathoth was one of the priest cities in which the priests lived, which means something else significant about this plot against Jeremiah. These are no ordinary citizens, no ordinary countrymen of Judah. These are the religious leaders. These are the priests who are conspiring to kill him. So number one, it's his neighbors. Number two, it's the religious leaders of Judah, the priests who are conspiring to kill him. And number three, because Anathoth is the hometown of Jeremiah, he grows up there. He's part of a priestly family. The Bible tells us that by birth, Jeremiah is also a priest, not just a prophet. He is of the Levitical tribe. 
His dad is a priest. Jeremiah, it doesn't tell us, ever served in his priestly duties. He was primarily a prophet, but nevertheless, he was born into a priestly family. And it indicates to us in the text here that apparently Jeremiah's own family was a part of this plot to kill him. If you glance again at chapter 12 and look at verse 6, this is where we see that. In chapter 12, verse 6, this is the Lord speaking to Jeremiah, and he says to him in verse 6 of chapter 12, your brothers, your own family, even they have betrayed you, they have raised a loud cry against you, do not trust them, though they speak well of you. Oh, they're going around saying, happy Thanksgiving, happy Thanksgiving, but they want to make him the turkey, do you understand? Okay, and so now put this all together and and put yourself in Jeremiah's shoes here. He is the target of an assassination. They, they want to kill him. The people of Anathoth have come together to hatch this plan. So it's basically his neighbors, his spiritual leaders, and his own family who betray him and want him dead. But that for the sake of God, God exposes this plot. And that's what we read at the beginning of our text in verse 18 of chapter 11. Verse 18, it says, Jeremiah says, because the Lord revealed their plot to me, I knew it. That's the only way he came to understand this, because otherwise, in the next verse in 1119, he says, "I, I was basically like a little gentle lamb being led to the slaughter. I was oblivious to this plot of, of, of them trying to kill me. I knew nothing about it. Verse 19, he said, I had been like a gentle lamb led to the slaughter. I did not realize that they had plotted against me, saying, and then he quotes the plotters, the haters, the murderers, he quotes them, he, and, and, and they say this, let us destroy the tree and its fruit. So that's just metaphor for Jeremiah, the tree and its fruit. Let's destroy him and let us cut him off from the land of the living. Cut him off, okay, that his name be remembered no more. Well, obviously it didn't work because here we are some 2,500 years later still talking about Jeremiah. God intervened and God saved his life. But these guys wanted him dead, gone dead. Not just, how can we get this guy to shut up? It wasn't just that. It was like, why don't we just, you know, send a, send a couple of guys from New York and break his kneecaps and then maybe he'll, maybe he'll just be quiet with all this stuff. No, 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 no. They wanted to roll mafia style. I mean, they wanted like, we're going to make him go away so that nobody will find him. We're going to bury him under the end zone at Giant Stadium with Jimmy Hoffa. That's what they're thinking. Okay, we're just going to make him go away so that nobody knows him. And then Jeremiah pleads his case. And in verse 20, I'm still here in chapter 11, verse 20, he says, But, O Lord Almighty, you who judge righteously and test the heart and mind, let me see your vengeance upon them, for to you I have committed my cause. So he says, Lord, you've exposed this plot to me. These are my neighbors. These are my spiritual leaders. These are my, this is my family. They're trying to kill me. Lord, sick them. You ever prayed a prayer like that? Anybody done you wrong? Nobody's ever done you wrong. You haven't lived life yet. So when somebody does you wrong, do you pray one of those prayers like, Lord, just get them, you know, with the, in love, but in Jesus' name, get them, you know? And, <laughs> and so it's one of those vengeful kind of prayers. Now listen, by the way, I'm not encouraging this, but there's nothing actually in the Bible that says praying a prayer of vengeance is wrong. What the Bible says is acting on vengeance is wrong. Because vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will avenge. That's the Lord's prerogative, Paul reminds us in Romans 12, 19. So while it might be okay to just kind of 
you know, pour out our, our hearts to the Lord when we're upset about somebody and say, Lord, would you, you know, vengeance, get them, Lord. But we should never act on that. That's not our place. That's God's right and privilege and prerogative to do what he wants to do. And if he chooses to or not, that's up to the Lord. So Jeremiah praised this prayer of vengeance, but it was the Lord who decided what he wanted to do. And all of this, all of this, I mean, just try to imagine the personal betrayal he must be feeling here. I mean, he's just trying to serve the Lord. He's just trying to honor God. He's just trying to live for the Lord and warn people whom he loves about impending disaster that's coming. What's so wrong with that? He's just trying to do what's good and right and honor God, and people are trying to kill him. And all of this starts to weigh on him. And Jeremiah begins to wonder something that many of us wonder when there is evil and injustice in the world, particularly when some of that evil and injustice in the world is directed towards us. And what he ends up doing is he asks common questions. Two questions he asks in chapter 12, verse 1, the end of verse 1 of chapter 12. Here are the two questions that he asks. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? And second question, why do all the faithless live at ease? That's what he asks the Lord. Now, he's respectful about it with God. He's not questioning God's character, integrity, or intentions here. Because he actually begins chapter 12, verse 1, by saying, you are always righteous, O God. You're always righteous when I bring a, a, a case before you. So he recognizes that God is just and righteous, but he wonders. It's okay to wonder. He wonders why. He wonders why it seems that the wicked get away with things. And, and even at times, they seem to prosper. They don't just get away with stuff. They seem to even be doing well in life. While sometimes the righteous suffer. This is, this is what Jeremiah is feeling. It's like, I'm, I'm trying to do what is right, what is good. I'm trying to live a righteous life before the Lord. People are trying to kill me without cause. I'm just trying to warn them. I'm trying to be faithful. They're wanting to murder me. And why is it that they seem to be getting off scot-free? Why is my life under stress? Why am I trying to be killed here? Lord, why aren't you doing something? And he questions God. The tendency when we don't understand the inequities of life is to begin to transition to self and ask those questions. What about me? And how come my life is not as easy or as good or as cheerful or as successful or whatever as the guy or the lady down the road who doesn't even live for you, Lord? You know, why is this? Why does my life seem to have more distress than somebody who doesn't even live for you or love you? And so he wonders this, and this is the kind of thing that begins to happen often when we encounter these kinds of injustices or inequities, particularly as it becomes directed toward ourselves. And this is where Jeremiah ends up going. He transitions to himself. And in chapter 12, verse 3, the first part of verse 3, he says, he says to the Lord, he says, yet you know me, O Lord, you see me and test my thoughts about you. In other words, I'm not like these other people. You know I'm better than that. I'm trying to live for your glory. I'm not like they are. And I'm, and I'm good with you, Lord. You, you know me. You test my thoughts. And then you got to love his raw emotion here. Because the rest of verse 3 in his prayer to God, he says, why don't you just drag them off like sheep to be butchered? Can you do that for me, Lord? Just, just butcher them. Set them apart for the day of slaughter. Okay? And it's just, it's just raw emotion. It's like, Lord, why don't you just take care of these people that are treating me so cruelly? And folks, it is common for us 
to question God about our difficulties, especially when we see someone who doesn't follow the Lord seem to have less difficulties than we. It's common to question the Lord about those things, but it's not necessarily right. So I've titled my teaching today, The Right Way to See a Wrong World. And I'm going to give you five quick points about how do we respond in a world where there are injustices, evil, inequities, and a lot of times it's even directed towards us. And so you can personalize this in whatever way you might be going through things or might have encountered different challenges in your life because I think there's a right way to see a wrong world. And our world is wrong. Our world needs Jesus. It needs saving. And, and so we live in a fallen world. And that's partly uh, the, the first point. Number one, for you note takers, the righteous and the unrighteous exist together for now. And we have to just realize this and, and recognize this. Uh, here's a verse for you taking notes, Matthew 5.45. In Matthew 5.45, Jesus says something that is uh, rich in truth, but is often just read and overlooked. Here's what he says, Matthew 5.45. God causes his son, S-U-N, to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, it's easy to read that and think, okay, great, what, what other spiritual truth do you have for me, Lord? But it, that's packed with important truth. So I just want to frame this by pulling up a little bit, 30,000 feet, looking at the broader issue about inequities and justice and evil in the world and try to reconcile and help us to understand theologically, biblically, through that lens, you know, why is it that sometimes, you know, good people suffer, good is relative, none of us is good, we're all unrighteous before God, we need a Savior, but in terms of just quantifying things, why why is it sometimes, you know, good people suffer and bad people seem to get off scot-free? This whole dilemma that we have to reconcile all of this in, in our lives and in the world. Um, and, and listen, for purposes of discussion, the Bible does refer to the righteous as those who are following the Lord, love the Lord, committed to him, and the unrighteous who aren't. So, so there are terms in the Bible that distinguish between those who are followers of the Lord, love the Lord, yielded their lives to the Lord, and then the unrighteous and the wicked and evil in the world. And the fact of the matter is that the righteous and unrighteous will exist together in our world. And because the righteous and the unrighteous exist together in the world, that means that some of the wonderful benefits of, of God's grace that pour over to the righteous will also spill over to the unrighteous. Because God causes his sun to shine on the righteous and the unrighteous. It's not like you wake up in the morning and the sun only rises in the east in your bedroom. It also is in that of the unrighteous. And, and it's not that only your fields get watered when it rains, like God just, you know, only has a cylinder of rain that comes to your backyard. I mean, he's going to water the earth. And therefore, the righteous and the unrighteous will benefit equally often because of the goodness of God and the spillover effect of the goodness of God. Case in point, Sodom and Gomorrah. You have Sodom and Gomorrah in the Bible, twin cities, evil cities, and you have a righteous family, Lot, living, Lot and his family living in the wicked city of Sodom. And because they were righteous, God was merciful to that family, and thus his mercy spilled over to the whole city. But the moment that family was removed, then his judgment came. But as long as they were in place, God's mercy spilled over to the whole town, not just to one family. They were the indirect recipients of God's blessings directed to that one family. The whole town was. 
So we need to understand that there, in some ways, because of the righteous in the earth, the unrighteous will also be recipients of God's wonderful grace. But the opposite is true. Thanks to sin and Satan, we now live in a fallen world. This is a corrupt world, an evil world, a wicked world. And therefore, some of the things that go along in a wicked world will rub up against us. We will become tainted by the adversities and challenges and the darkness of the world in which we live. We will be affected by death and disease and betrayal and all kinds of grievous things that mankind does to mankind. It's inescapable. We share the same space for now. We coexist together, and therefore God's blessings flow over, but also the mess and the sin of a corrupt world, thanks to sin and Satan, are also things that we have to deal with in our lives too. So when we look at our lives and we go, how come some bad things are happening? I thought I was really living for you, Lord. It's the result of living in a world where there's a lot of adversity and challenges and darkness, and it's messy. And there are things that we're going to experience in our lives just because we're still living here in this present world. Which is why Paul reminds us in Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible's always trying to point us vertically and remind us that when the adversity of this world begins to take its toll on you, remember that you don't belong here, your citizenship is in heaven and we're only passing through. And therefore make the best of your life here now and influence it for the glory of God. But we have to keep our focus on heaven. We have to keep our focus on the Lord. Fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. The reason he sat down was because his work was finished. So that as many as believe him and receive in him, we can have new life in Christ. But even in that, having new life in Christ, we still have to live in a corrupt, fallen world. We will therefore be subject to things in this corrupt, fallen world. Even though we may not be the direct cause of it, we still will be a part of it because we're living in this world. You know, a simple illustration. If there's one smoker in a household, other people will be affected by secondhand smoke because they live in the same household. There's detrimental effects. The same is true of our world. You may not be the direct cause of it, but as a result of living in a fallen world, we might have to suffer some of the adversity of living in a world The righteous and the unrighteous exist together for now. Help me, Lord, to make a difference while I'm here. Which leads to point number two. Through the challenges we face, God is preparing us for a greater race. Through the challenges we face, God is preparing us for a greater race. Notice in chapter 12, verse 5. This is God's first response to the questions that Jeremiah poses. Again, you know, why, why do the wicked have it so easy? And how come, you know, they get off scot-free? Okay, this is God's response. Chapter 12, verse 5. If you have raced with men on foot and they have worn you out, how can you compete with horses? If you stumble in safe country, how will you manage in the thickets by the Jordan? What? How's that an answer? Here's what God is saying. He's basically saying that the challenges and difficulties we face in life help to strengthen and prepare us for greater plans that God has for us. That's that whole comparative thing there where he says, you know, listen, if if, if you've raced with men on foot and, and they've worn you out, how can you compete with horses? I've got a better race and a bigger purpose for your life that 
You aren't prepared for unless you first go through this process which will strengthen you, refine you, and make you of better use for my purposes in your life. Now, please hear me on this. I'm not saying God causes the adversities in order to strengthen and prepare us for greater purposes. I'm saying He uses our adversities and the things that we go through to strengthen and prepare us for more useful service in the kingdom. Thanks for listening to Cornerstone Connection. You've been listening to a message from the book of Jeremiah. Known as the Weeping Prophet, he was only 20 years old when he began his prophetic life. Though not specifically mentioned, it is believed he would have followed the life of a pastor. And because of his young age, he was not always well received. No doubt this influenced his writings. And because of their heavy and often negative tone, he earned his title as the Weeping Prophet. However, this did not stop him, and he went on to prophesy the many truths that the people of Jerusalem needed to hear. Did you know that getting together as a church family is one way that you can hear truth from one another? Cornerstone Chapel gets together each Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m., and Wednesday at 7 p.m. to learn from the Word and spend time in worship as sons and daughters of the King. Find out more at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We also encourage and believe in the power of praying together and for one another. Email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net with your prayer needs today. Thanks for listening to The Weeping Prophet, Jeremiah, today on Cornerstone Connection. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.